You're listening to Deep Dives with Sharks, a shark podcast focused on shark species, shark safety both for you and the sharks, and news from the past couple weeks. Sit back, relax, it's time to take a dive. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Deep Dives with Sharks. I am once again your host, my name is Alex. And I also need to do a quick apology because I've been missing for about a month. Uh, now, I did actually look. It was a little over a month, I think, since the last episode. And I do try to do these about every week or every other week, uh, somewhere in there, just so that way I can kind of keep these rolling. But I did get distracted because my girlfriend was in town and my internship picked up and then my work started doing weird things with our hours. So... Lots going on, but I am going to try to get back to that rhythm of doing it every week or every other week somewhere in there. But I did also want to mention that I do have a Twitter now associated with this podcast, so I will try to give updates and everything there as well. It is at Deep Dive Sharks because Deep Dives with Sharks did not fit on Twitter. So what we have there is just Deep Dive Sharks. Follow along. Uh, I'll tweet some stuff out, probably do some polls like I normally do, ask questions. You guys can tweet at me, send me anything you find on Twitter as well. But I do also still have the Instagram at Deep Dives with Sharks, so you can follow along there too. I'll also run polls and things like that there as well. And if you follow both, you essentially get two votes on any poll that I run because I can't, I'm not going to check and see who did what. Just whatever has the most votes wins. So it works out. Make a bunch of burner accounts. That works too. I don't, I don't mind. It works. But with this, I did run a poll. As I mentioned, I do that quite often. And I wanted to see what was going to win between the Greenland, Great White, Wobegong, and the Cookie Cutter Sharks. And to my surprise, the Great White lost once again, as I mentioned in the last episode. Y'all don't want to hear about Great Whites for some reason, but that's okay. Maybe one day. But it came down between the Cookie Cutter and the Wobegong. I don't think the Greenland Shark got a single vote, but you know... I still love them with my whole heart. And I did have to go to the Grand Council because I do not know how to break a tiebreaker myself. And the Grand Council is one person. It's my girlfriend. And she decided that we're going to do the Wobegong Shark because we got to see them in person, which was really cool. But once again, if you want to participate in those polls or have a say in what news stories I do, anything like that, feel free to ask questions, follow along on Twitter and Instagram, and we'll go from there. But going into the Wobegong shark, I did realize that I was actually misspelling this shark by the time I got to the last shark we're going to talk about in the Wobegong species. And I realized that there's not an R in Wobegong. There's just an E. So I was spelling Wobbergong the entire time, and that is not correct. And I don't know why I thought it was Wobbergong when I knew it was pronounced Wobegong. But here we are. So we got it fixed. But... There are grand total 12 species of Wobegong sharks. Uh, now, I'm mostly going to be focusing on the tasseled, ornate, and spotted Wobegongs. Now, I was going to do, I believe, about five or six total. Um, that was also going to include the Japanese Wobegong and also uh, the or Orclobos, something like that. I couldn't even pronounce it or find a pronunciation on it. I probably could have found a pronunciation on it, but I got a little sidetracked with everything. But with that, the paragraph that was on the website both on wikipedia and like the shark websites that i found so like nat geo and discovery um 
both of those only had like a paragraph for both sharks and I didn't really know how to turn that into its own little segment so I figured they were pretty similar to the other Wobegongs we're going to be talking about but if you want to look more into all those species you are more than welcome to I'm not going to yell at you or if you'd like me to look more into them and just kind of combine the rest into a quick smaller episode I could probably do that as well so just let me know but the Wobegong is actually a species of carpet shark. So it gets its name, Wobegong, as that is Australian Aboriginal language for shaggy beard. So they tend to have those tassels around their mouth. So it looks like they have a nice full beard. Now another quick thing, because I'd love to get sidetracked. Um, quick shout out to Australia for being the fourth highest follower rating. I think that's what it's called their listenership I should say in the world so congrats to Australia that's fourth out of 15 so you guys are doing great uh and also I'm really excited that we actually got to 15 countries so that's amazing so thank you guys so much for all of that but they are called carpet sharks because they tend to lay on the ocean floor uh so they pretty much lay among coral reefs like a carpet uh now breaking this into the couple sections we're going over first of all is going to be the tasseled wobegong now, all Wobegong species are mostly found around Australia, uh, New Guinea, and nearby islands. Uh, this one specifically is going to be mostly around Australia and New Guinea as well. They're only about 5.9 feet or 1.8 meters long, and they have a very small but sharp teeth. Now, the teeth are smaller than a fingernail, so that's kind of the... They're, they're about the... Um, like it's hard to exp explain them. They're really, really small. Imagine something small. They're that small. Good job. Um, but <laughs> they have really small teeth that are helped to catch a small prey, a small fish, especially when they're in reefs. They can get into little nooks and crannies, and the smaller fish will come through thinking they're fine, and they're not. But this will be gone gets its name from the tassels that it has around its mouth, and they are especially long, so they look a little bit like a beard. So going back to the overall name, uh, this is the bearded bearded one. Neat. Uh, they do tend to have spots around their body that mimic the coral that they stay around, which makes them very easy to blend in, so they have very good camouflage. Now, there is a tasseled wobegong at the Baltimore Aquarium, and I've stared at it so many times and not even known it. Uh, it wasn't until we went on a behind-the-scenes shark tour, that's a really hard phrase to say, that we actually had the guide show us where she was. Uh, she did mention we also have an ornate Wobegong there, but we're not going to see that one because that one doesn't come out till after dark, um, which I'll explain a little bit later. I mean, you could probably already jump to that conclusion. Um, but the tasseled Wobegong blends in so well that even when it's just laying there, I didn't even notice it among the coral or notice that anything was different. So I thought that was absolutely awesome. But they have 23 to 26 upper and 19 lower rows of teeth. And they are very small and very pointy and sharp, especially the three upper and two lower central teeth. They're very similar to fangs that help to impale their prey and hold it for consumption later. These sharks also have rounded fins, and they have two dorsal fins, uh, with one being a little bit taller than the other. Usually the front one's a little bit taller. Now, Wobegong spend most of their time laying on the ocean floor in caves among coral reefs. Uh, this is to help make sure they can blend in, and also how they got their name, the carpet shark. They feed on a variety of fish, both bony and cartilaginous. Cartilaginous. There we go. Don't know why that was really hard to say that time, but we got through. Uh, as well as other sharks, including the bamboo shark, which is one that I hope to get to do down the line. 
Uh, now, their main diet consists of nocturnal schooling fish, such as sweeperfish, soldierfish, and squirrelfish, which when you look up a squirrelfish, it actually looks nothing like a squirrel, and I'm assuming that the person who named it was kind of on drugs, so it works out. But as I did mention, these guys are nocturnal. Most Wobegongs are, and they tend to not move a whole lot during the day, usually resting up and saving their energy, and then coming back at the end, uh, at the end of the day. Yeah, coming back at night to hunt and catch their prey. Uh, but uh, they do have the smaller teeth. They can still cause serious damage. Uh, so when they bite humans, they tend to hold on a little bit. Uh, they also only bite when it, they're startled. So when people pull on their tails or when people sneak up on them, anything like that, same rule that comes with every other shark is just don't mess with them, you know? Just let them be. They'll usually let you be. Now, they have had one person who lost a foot due to a Wobegong shark, but I didn't see any fatalities linked to Wobegong, so pretty solid. Uh, but these sharks, tasseled Wobegongs especially, are known to get tapeworms. Uh, now, it's usually prevented by the relationship with cleaner shrimp and blue street cleaner wrasses as well. So they do have that nice, um, I believe it's a symbiotic relationship. It's not parasitic, so... Who knows? I need to do more science stuff. I clearly don't know <laughs> half the stuff I talk about sometimes, but it's fine. We'll, we'll get through. But also, humans tend to not mess with these sharks very much. Uh, now, they're usually found in caves, coral reefs, so like divers and like snorkelers are the ones that encounter them the most. But for the most part, they're usually around 100 meters deep, so they like the deeper water. But with this... It makes it kind of hard for humans to interact with them, so they tend to stay away from us, and they don't tend to really pose a whole lot of a threat. So humans don't really hunt them because they're harder to get to, and also they're not really getting caught up by too many things like bycatch, anything like that, so they're actually least concerned. So they're not endangered or threatened, which is fantastic. But going on to the spotted Wobegong. Now... These ones are only going to be found around Australia, and they hit a length of about 150 to 180 centimeters, or 4.9 to 5.9 feet. The spotted Wobegong has a distinctive circular-shaped spots as compared to the more oddly-shaped ones on the tasseled. Uh, this species was also first discovered by Pierre-Joseph Bont Bonateri, I believe, Bonateri, something like that, in 1778. So these ones were actually discovered two years after America was discovered, or not discovered, declared independent i am really showing how smart i am this episode and that is fantastic but it's been a long day evidently who knew <laughs> but with this the species uh first discovered in 1778 and then similar to the tasseled wobegong they have tassels around their mouth but they tend to have less overall tassels than other species hence the tasseled has more and they're a bit longer but they're ambush predators as well, uh, so they're going to be mostly nocturnal too. They'll stay along the ocean floor and catch unsuspecting prey as they go by. Now, the adults tend to be found around algae-covered rocks, sandy bottoms, coastal bays, and coral reefs during the day, while the young tend to be around estuaries, so it's a little bit safer for them. But they also tend to like a little bit more murky waters, uh, the spotted wobegong, especially around that algae if they can get that churned up really helps to limit the visibility of the fish around them too. Now they have a wide variety of prey, including scorpion fishes, rays, smaller sharks, and other wobegongs as well. Now they also do have uh, luteric and sea basses that they will eat too. 
They tend to stay above 715 feet deep, although they can be found above that depth, but not too uh, rarely below. Uh, and with this, they're also hunted in Australia for their skin, as people tend to enjoy eating it. Uh, but they're also still listed as least concerned. Once again, kind of harder to find these guys, especially when it comes to other sharks that are easier to find in the open ocean. Now, with these guys, there have only been a few unprovoked bites, although the database that keeps track uh, lists only four unprovoked bites. So it's a pretty solid number. Um, and like I said, it's usually due to being startled, anything like that. That's going to transfer from one shark to the next. Or also defense, so don't pull a shark by its tail. It's going to bite you. Now, moving on to the last shark that we have of the Wobegong family that we'll talk about at least this week. Uh, this is going to be the ornate Wobegong. Now, ornates tend to grow to be about 3.9 feet or 120 centimeters. They also live around Australia as well as other Pacific countries, but mostly New Zealand and possibly Japan. These tend to be smaller than the tasseled and tend to be less freckled, uh, meaning they have less spots. The spots on this shark have a black outline around them, differentiating them from spotted and tasseled wobegongs. Now, the tasseled or the spotted have those darker rings around them, but they tend to be more circular. These ones have the outline kind of more oblong shaped or a little bit more squiggly. Um, I guess just whenever they were being designed, they had a shakier hand. I'm not sure, but I'm also not totally. Uh, sure how they can differentiate one from the other because looking at the pictures they all looked very similar so I know for a fact if I saw one in the wild I'm just simply calling it a wobegong I'm definitely not going to be able to be like that's a tasseled versus a spotted because they, they look very very similar so I'm surprised that or at least I was surprised to find there were this many classifications for this shark especially because all the classifications looked very very similar but these sharks tend to enjoy having clearer waters and also having more seagrass to hide in. Meanwhile, the other ones mostly stuck to coral reefs or sandy bottoms. These ones also enjoy seagrasses that they can hide in too. Now, they eat similar foods to the previously mentioned species, including bony and cartilaginous fish, crustaceans, cephalopods, and smaller sharks as well. They particularly prefer snapper as the ones that were caught uh, and then uh, well, post-mortem they were studied uh, they were found to have a lot of snapper in their stomachs. Uh, about 85% of their diet was snapper, so that was kind of neat. Now, this species, uh, when they give birth, it's only to about 12 offspring, uh, so it's actually a rather large pupping number. Uh, and they already have a full set of teeth and can defend themselves from predators, which is absolutely wild. This is another species that is also not threatened or endangered. So they're going to be, once again, least concerned, which is actually very exciting because I did not expect to do a full episode where all the different species, because even when we went over the hammerheads, they were somewhere endangered, somewhere more endangered than others. None of them, I mean, I think the best was one was threatened rather than being endangered, which is good, but not great. But I, had, I haven't seen a least concern, at least not that I can remember. Now, there are many aquariums across the country and world that have Wobegong sharks. Uh, two that I can name off the top of my head are the Georgia Aquarium, which I believe was a tasseled Wobegong when I saw it, and then the Baltimore Aquarium, which, as I mentioned, has the ornate and the tasseled, not the spotted, my goodness, the tasseled Wobegong. And you can see those down in the Black Tip Reef exhibit. Well, at least one of them. The other one's going to be very, very hard to spot. But that is what I have for the shark portion of the podcast. Of course, any questions, any follow-up, 
anything like that that you'd like to hear more about or if you'd like me to go over anything else feel free to send it over on twitter or instagram once again deep dive sharks or deep dives with sharks but going on to the shark safety portion now as i mentioned in the last episode about a month ago that this one's brought up by gabe which also i thought i was going to do this much quicker so i had to kind of think back and try to remember what the question was asked which also, it's Groomsman Gate, by the way. It has a nice ring to it, okay? Great. But <laughs> with this, he wanted to figure out how to not look like shark food. A great question often overlooked by many. Now, this is one that people tend to try to avoid when they go into the ocean anyway, and a lot of people are actually scared to go into the ocean in general simply because they feel like sharks see us as food and simply being in the water is going to get them eaten. It's not very true. Um, like I mentioned before, most of the sharks that you're going to encounter are going to be very small, which also brings me to another thought that I had. Many people will tell you that if you ever encounter a shark or it tries to bite you, you're supposed to punch it. Now, as I mentioned in the first or second episode, that's very wrong. Do not try to punch a shark. All it's going to do is just piss it off and it's going to bite you. So also, most of the sharks that you have that are going to be coming up to you couple feet long at most like most of the sharks we've gone over have not been as big as a person they usually are smaller most of the sharks in the world are going to be smaller than about five feet so they're probably going to be a lot smaller than you and if you go to punch it it's also probably going to be a juvenile so you're going to punch the majority of the shark is that going to get it away from you yes but at the same time that's overkill you don't need to punch an entire shark like no just push it away from you going to probably be about like the size of your forearm you can get that away from you pretty easy so i mean that's my thought i mean then again i've never also encountered a shark so i could be very wrong but i mean that's a lie i swim with whale sharks but i've never been bitten by a shark how about that i'll put that out there but with this there are some things that will attract a shark to you both in what you're wearing or actions that you're doing that you can avoid that some people probably are doing without even realizing now with this <clears throat> They always say as well that you want to travel in groups because sharks like to be solitary hunters and go for the weak, slower, or easier target. So, of course, if you're in a group, they're not going to want to go after you unless, of course, you're somehow all the way off by yourself and you're doing all the motions of an injured fish. But for the most part, you should be good to go. Now, this information for this part comes from an article written by The Week back in 2017 and an article by the Florida Museum written in 2022. So we have a little bit of uh, newer information as well. But step number one is always to remain calm. You don't want to do sudden thrashing movements or panic as that's what injured fish do, which is going to be their main prey. As I just mentioned, they tend to go after the weak, injured, or sick fish. So if you're thrashing around doing erratic movements, it's going to see that you're injured, I put that in quotes, and it's going to probably be more interested in you. Now, you also don't want to swim uh, when sharks tend to hunt, so that's going to be around dusk, dawn, at night. They tend to mistake you from prey when they're hunting, which is how most bites occur. Uh, from here as well, you also want to stay away from the shark's natural prey. So if you're at a beach and you see seals, schooling fish, you see a bunch of injured fish, anything like that, I don't know how you're going to find a bunch of injured fish, but if you happen to stumble upon the Injured Fish Academy, stay away from it. There's probably a good chance that there's a shark nearby, uh, especially because when fish are thrashing around like that, it tends to attract sharks. 
but you wouldn't really cover yourself in an antelope carcass going into the savanna, so I wouldn't recommend throwing yourself into the middle of a school of fish in areas where sharks have been known to be. Uh, but with this as well, bright colors tend to attract sharks. Now, this will also account for shiny jewelry or shiny bits on the bathing suit that dangle around, anything like that, that might resemble a fish scale. Now, the less like a fish you can look, the better. So, I'd also recommend if you're going in the ocean, don't wear those big mermaid tails. You know, they got all those scales down the legs or whatever and a giant fin on the bottom. You now have made yourself look so much more like a fish, the shark's going to be very confused. It's going to probably think that you are, in fact, food. So, be careful there with that. Now, as I mentioned, we don't want to do erratic or thrashing movements. Uh, this is going to make sure that if you're also with pets, so if you're swimming with your dog, they tend to, when they swim, have a lot of quick, rapid movements. Now, this is going to probably look a little bit suspicious to a shark, and they're going to want to investigate it. And the way that sharks investigate is going to be with their mouth. So they're probably going to bite your dog. So I'd recommend keeping your dog out of the ocean, um, or at least don't throw it off the boat in the middle of the ocean, because it might get bit by a shark, and I don't know how to handle that. I don't want to think about that. Anyway. Don't want to be swimming with your dog in the ocean, or if you're going swimming with sharks, leave your dog at home. They'll probably be happier anyway. Uh, but you also need to stand your ground. Now, sharks are pretty timid uh, creatures, and they also are pretty, like, they're powerful, but they also usually don't know what humans are capable of, and they're rather smart. So, when they don't know a whole lot about humans, they want to investigate a little bit more. And as I mentioned, that's going to be usually using their hands, their mouth. They don't have hands. I'm looking at my hands. It's been a day, but <laughs> they're probably going to try to uh, bite you, uh, figure out what you are, and they're not going to realize that they have razor-sharp teeth, and you have very fragile skin. So you want to stay on your ground. They start getting a little bit too close. Don't punch a shark. I also saw a video where a guy stabbed a shark. You don't have to do that either, but what you want to do, you want to just push it away from you, which the guy did multiple times before he stabbed two sharks. That video really pisses me off, but you just want to push a shark away from you. As we mentioned before, you don't have to punch a shark that's going to make it angry. Just get it away from you. Aim for the gills. Just push it away. It's going to make sure that it just gives you its distance. And then if it starts getting a little too close, this is the only time you should act aggressive. Don't make contact with the shark. But you know when people are trying to get someone to jump a little bit and they do that little fake at them where they like do that head move? Look it up. You'll find it. But essentially where people are like trying to get someone to move and they act like they're going to hit them, do a move like that at the shark. Like Do a little pump fake. They're not going to know what the heck you're about to do, and they're most likely going to turn away and be like, oh, uh, what in the world, because they don't know what you're capable of. You essentially just threw a fake Kamehameha at them, and they don't know what's about to happen, so they're going to get out of there. So stand your ground, stay vertical. Not many things in the ocean are going to be upright like that, so if you're swimming horizontally, you look a little bit more like a fish, but when you go upright, that makes a shark's brain go, what in the world? But... Uh, bleeding is another issue as well. People frequently ask, well, if I'm in the water and I'm bleeding, is that a problem? Best answer is I don't know. Uh, the research I did, every other source said yes, and then all the rest of them said no. So it was pretty much a 50-50 split where it's like, yeah, sharks will know your blood from miles away. And then others were like, no, sharks don't like human blood. So I don't know. Uh, probably not. I'd imagine that if you are bleeding, uh, I'd recommend not doing it. Um, but once again, just kind of see what's going on. If it's like a hangnail, you should be fine, a small cut. But if you're like gushing blood, I'd recommend for like just your own health, 
to not get in the salt water. Um, I mean, salt water might be better than not salt water, fresh water. That's the word I'm looking for. I swear I'm so much smarter than I'm leading on this episode. But just definitely I would. I don't think I'd want to put ocean water in an open wound. I feel like that's just going to get infected. So I'd say take care of that first, get it all wrapped up, and then go get in the water later. You know, it'll work out. But this is another thing you need to watch for fishing areas. Uh, fish in distress often attract sharks. So as I mentioned, that video where the dude stabs two sharks, he was spearfishing a yellowfin tuna while sharks were around. That's stupid. Be smart. Like you, like you don't have to have a huge brain to understand. Oh, hey, these sharks are clearly going after this tuna. Why don't I take it from him with a spear fishing? Like, so he shoots it with the spear, and then as the sharks are like, "Well, what's going on here?" He pushes them away. Good move. He pushes them away again. Good move. He's now panicking, so the sharks are now looking at him. He then gets himself wrapped up in his own cord like an idiot. He's trying to wrestle a. 150 pound tuna in the water meanwhile two sharks are trying to figure out what he's doing and so then he finally stabs the tuna and then when the sharks are like oh you just put fish guts in the water they then go to investigate and then he stabs them like what are you doing that is so dumb don't put yourself in a stupid situation like that that's just dumb like so many things could have gone wrong and instead, you injured two sharks and killed the tuna. Possibly killed two sharks as well. Way to go. But you're no cooler than you were before. If anything, you look like an idiot. So it, don't do that. But anyway, I digress. Sorry, we're going to go off another rant in a second too. I'm really heated about that video if you can't tell. But with this as well, if you see people fishing, don't go swimming in their fishing hooks. That's not smart. Same way that if you see people swimming... Don't start chumming the waters. Also not smart. You're going to get someone bit at that point, and I fully believe that if you've ever chummed the waters around someone and they got bit, you deserve to pay their medical bills. That's all I'm going to say. That's my stance on that. But this one is going to be one that I tend to break all the time, and it's kind of on purpose. But when fish are injured and they're near the surface, the splashing that they do, like the trying to move around movements, uh, they end up splashing the top of the water, and it makes a certain frequency that sharks can hear pretty well. And this can attract them from far and wide to come try to eat this fish. So whenever I'm at the beach, I always like to try to splash on the top of the water in the same area, hoping that a small boy will come up to investigate me and be like, oh, what's going on here? Now, it hasn't happened yet, and I guarantee that if I keep this up, I'm probably eventually going to get bit, so I should probably stop doing that. Now, thankfully, if I've done this and I haven't noticed there was a little shark nearby, thankfully I have not been bit yet. So goes to show you, some things aren't foolproof at that point. So me splashing in the water, I mean, now if someone's like throwing water at each other, stuff like that, they tend to not like a whole lot of commotion. So I usually do this when I'm like away from people anyway. Because first of all, like I said, if I'm going to do something dumb, I'm at least going to make sure I only put myself in danger. So if I'm going to get bit by a shark, I'm going to do it to me, not to like the poor kids that are nearby. But also if kids are splashing around and everything like that, they tend to not like all the commotion. So they're going to stay pretty far away anyway. Most likely why I haven't seen a shark anyway. Well, at least not on a beach. But that's really what I have for the shark safety bit. Just be smart, you know. Same thing I always say, if you're going to be dumb, be smart, but in this case, if you're going to be spearfishing yellowfin tuna in the open ocean around two tiger and or bull sharks, 
I couldn't really get a good look at them. They had similar noses. I think they were tigers, actually. Anyway, but if you're going to be in the ocean spearfishing a yellowfin tuna, don't be surprised when those sharks that were chasing that tuna suddenly want to figure out what you are. But once again, if you have any safety questions, if you have any news articles that you want to send my way or anything like that, Deep Dive Sharks on Twitter and Deep Dives with Sharks on Instagram. But this goes on to our shark news section. Now, surprisingly, neither of the stories that I have today are about that yellowfin tuna incident. This, by the way, is something I saw last night, and then it's still making me angry about 24 hours later. So that's exciting. But uh, I do have two stories for you guys this week. The first one, I hate this name, but it works. Shark attack survivor is on a mission to protect these animals. Quote, fear cannot, can be a powerful motivator. Fear can be a powerful motivator, end quote. Uh, this is by Fox News. Now, this story is all about Paul de Gelder, who I've mentioned on this podcast before. Now, back in, I believe it was 2009, he was doing an Australian Navy exercise to get diving certified or move up in the diving ranks when a bull shark grabbed his arm and leg and they got ripped off. Now, thankfully, the Australian Navy then decided they were going to cover all of his bills, I believe, and he's got the finest prosthetics you've ever seen. They're pretty cool. Uh, now, you can see Paul DeGelder on Shark Week quite a bit, and you may be wondering, well, how did this switch up? Well, the whole article is about that. Essentially, he went in there, and when he was recovering, he realized he didn't really know a whole lot about sharks. He figured he'd one day get eaten by a shark being a Navy diver in Australia, and then realized, well, this was a lot more terrifying than I thought, and I really don't understand these animals. So he then went through, and the whole time he was recovering, did as much research as he could and learned a whole lot about sharks and actually developed a love for these animals. So he figured that he'd rather be able to spread that with the world. So he's able to turn that around, and nowadays you'll find him on Shark Week talking about sharks, doing dives, everything like that. Taking He's usually involved with the celebrities as well. So I think he did, I know he did the one with the people from Jackass last year. Um, I'm not sure if he did the Mike Tyson one, but I think he was involved with Mike Tyson. I'm not sure. He's been uh, involved in a lot, uh, and he's also one of my favorite people to see on Shark Week. So I'd like to give a shout-out to him, as well as Devin Masson, who is a videographer for um, pretty much he's just a nature photographer. And he gets some of the best footage I've seen in Shark Week and across the board. Great person to follow on Instagram. He posts amazing things when he does, so I definitely recommend that as well. But that was very sidebar but essentially this is what i want to have happen well not have people get bit but essentially people learn about sharks and realize they're not really here just to eat everyone and try to mess everything up they're more here to just exist and have a good time and we just have to share the same planet with them which is awesome but a lot of people are scared of them and they're not here to attack us i mean sometimes it happens but for the most part it, it's usually mistaken identity and then you go on from there but this next one, kind of wild title as well. This one is To Catch a Predator. Boy, 12, reels in great white shark off Fort Lauderdale Coast. And this is by CBS Miami. Now, this one, pretty much the title gives away everything that happens in this article. There was a 12-year-old boy on a charter fishing boat about a mile off of Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Uh, he initially hooked a tuna, and while reeling it in, he hooked a great white who took a bite out of the tuna. Now, this is why I tell people not to go fishing uh, around swimmers and vice versa. 
because you go and spearfish a yellowfin tuna, the sharks that are nearby are going to go after that injured fish. Anyway, I'm I'm very heated about that. I'm sorry, but I, I, I'm just angry. But from there, he fought with the shark for about 45 minutes reeling it in. And when it was finally caught, they at first were saying that they were going to taxidermy it, uh, put it up on the wall. Really cool catch there. But instead, they decided that what they were going to do, tag it and release it, which I love so much more. And I then realized is a dream of mine because I've always I've been on a couple of charter fishing boats in the Chesapeake Bay. And I mean, we mostly catch rockfish. I've never hooked a shark and or been around anyone who's hooked a shark. But there are some sharks that do go into the Chesapeake Bay, and it's not uncommon to find one there as well. But I've always figured I don't want to catch one because I don't know what I do. But if there's a possibility to tag it and release it, that'd be kind of cool. So hopefully, if that ever does happen, I'm hoping that they have the resources to let it go and also make sure that we can collect some research from it because I think that'd be pretty awesome. Uh, now, I do have to say I did want to give a nice little pat on the back to the kid uh, for A, catching a great white shark because that's no easy feat, but also to the crew for having the tools necessary to be able to be like, hey, no, nah, let's use this for research rather than being like, we got shark. So pretty cool there. But that's what I have for this episode. Uh, so thank you guys for listening. I do really appreciate it. Follow along on Twitter at Deep Dive Sharks and Instagram Deep Dives with Sharks. I'll try to keep you guys updated there. Also, uh, hopefully this sounded a little bit different this time. I did get a new mic, so hopefully it sounded a little bit clearer. If not, or if it sounded terrible, let me know. Um, I'll fight with this some more. Um, but hopefully it sounded great. Um, but so any comments, questions, if you find any new stories or anything like that, you want me to go over those as well, feel free to send them my way as well. I'll be very happy to go over those too. But I will see you guys in the next one. Thank you for following along. I don't know when the next one will be, but hopefully I'll see you either next week or a little bit later. But take care, and I'll see you in the next one.